Kevin Kanoff with ChampionshipBBQ.tv, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things that are important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings live fire fun and frivolity show. If you would like to get in contact with me this evening or if you want to follow the show during off-show hours, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. A couple weeks ago, we tried to pull this off. We had technical difficulties. We believe we have worked through the technical difficulties and can now pull this segment off. Moved up from the second hour the first time. Coming in in a debut segment. Second time debut segment. Dirk Mullins. Jody Harris from the Rib Cook-Off Association going to be talking to them about why cook the rib cook-off association not why cook it but why start it also if you're somebody that's interested you've heard about it why cooking it talk about why you would want to do that we'll talk about the rules how you're judged where the next round of competitions might be taking place all that good stuff so leading off with rib cook-off association talk then we'll move 35 past the hour because it's the third tuesday of a month in that second interview slot during the first hour, we will welcome back our pal, the creator of cookoutnews.com, Wes Wright. Between last month and this month, if you can believe it, a host of new things have happened. So we're going to be talking with Wes about all of those. There's been a huge lawsuit that's been settled finally, as I had mentioned at the top of the show last week. So we'll talk to Wes and see if he's heard anything about that from a settlement aspect. There's some new products that have launched. There's been some additional business where other companies have been bought by other companies. So plenty to get through here with Wes. Then we'll go to the second hour. 
And joining me is a former embedded correspondent of the show. He is a barbecue supply store owner and the owner of the historic Steve Ray's Midnight Oil. Owner of Owl's Nest Barbecue, Steve Ray, joins the show once more. Steve ran up to Nashville last week, about a week ago, last Wednesday, and he walked the HPBA Expo or the HPB Expo or whatever the hell they call it. I was at the one last year in Louisville. It moved locations as it usually does. And it was in Nashville last week, so we'll talk to Steve about what he liked and what he didn't like. He also sent me a bunch of pictures that we'll go over. So if you're listening to this show now in the second hour on Thursday or whatever you get it, when I say, hey, if you're listening to it audibly, make sure you hit the video archive so you can also see what we're talking about. Little advance notice on that. If you're watching live, you'll see it all happen right here in real time. So there is a visual component aside from the audio component. And then closing out the show, somebody who's been on the show before, a product manager for WC Bradley for one of their other arms. But tonight he joins us in his new role as product manager at Current Backyard, Seth Sawyer. Current getting a lot of hype over the last number of months. It won awards at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas a couple weeks ago. Wes and I will be talking about Current Backyard. I talked about Current Backyard the last time I was on Jimmy Malone's show here locally in Cleveland. Barbecue, not barbecue, but Radio Hall of Famer Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Malone. So everybody's talking about it. Why not get some straight detail from the folks that are making it? Current Backyard, Seth Sawyer. So looking forward to catching up with Seth and closing out the show with Seth as well. So that's how it's laying out here this evening. Dirk Mullins from Rib Cook-Off Association. Dirk Mullins, Jody Harris. Wes Wright after him. Steve Ray to lead off the second hour. Seth Sawyer to close it out. And your emails and chats as we can mix them in here during the next two hours. Don't forget you can follow me socially, Instagram, X, TikTok, and Snapchat, all at BBQ Central Show. We say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our video streaming platform partners. You can go to Facebook.com slash BBQ Central Show, where we are once again streaming live on the Facebook page. Facebook had a little thing with the vMix, but that's all been worked out over the course of the last week. So you will notice that if you are on Facebook the show page, not my personal page like it was last week, that we are back up and running as normal. You can also watch over Twitter, twitter.com slash BBQ Central Show. And you can also take in the show on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. And we do have a new YouTube poll question of the week, and we're asking everybody this. If you are on the fence about Smoke Slam, you are now 100% down after the interview last week. And currently, 83% of you are saying yes. You are down. 17% of you are saying no, sir. You are not down. You won't have it. Talk about that here in just a second. By the way, new piece of business that I'll be adding top of the show as long as I can remember it. Results from the poll last week which was if you will watch the UFL now that the NFL season is over, 
And as the poll ended, 71% of you said you will not be watching the UFL as it starts to air here over the next couple weeks. So no spring football for you folks, or at least the majority. So we have the new YouTube poll question of the week that we'll be asking everybody about as the show progresses. And we will give you the results at the lead of the show next week, as long as I can remember. So let's go ahead and start here this evening, and we can unpack some of the conversation of Smoke Slam from last week. I think it's safe to say you either love this event even more after the conversation with Melzy Wilson last week, or you hate this event even more after the conversation with Melzy Wilson last week. And the vast majority of you who are in some kind of opposition to Smoke Slam are in opposition because of the dates of the event itself. You are more or less good with the money that they're putting out. You're good with the World Food Championships being a part of it in the ancillary categories and offering tickets to those that are winning those ancillary categories and the main meets to go do their event in November. You're even okay with Smoke Slam being in Tom Lee Park, but you really hate the fact that Smoke Slam is competing directly with Memphis and May as it relates to the date. I think Melzi did a great job last week. She brought some new information about the festival that we didn't know about, most notably. There's a 10-year agreement between the organizers of Smoke Slam and the Memphis River Parks Partnership. I thought there might be a one- or two-year agreement with some options to extend things. If there were a panning out for both sides in a positive way. I didn't see a 10-year agreement at the start, and I have to imagine that there are some ripcords in the agreement that either side can pull if certain things don't happen. But again, an initial agreement of 10 years right off the bat was stunning, and at least cosmetically, it does show that there is real interest in being in downtown Memphis for the foreseeable future, I really need to get a segment or two with a guy named Mike Smith. Some of the questions I asked Melzy Wilson last week better serve to ask Mike. He appears to be the lead guy, especially if there were attempts at a joint venture to help improve Memphis and May going forward. And the Memphis and May folks rebuff the SummerSlam folks which forced them into the situation we're in now. Two big events, won a first-year festival, won a legacy contest that is revered in the barbecue world, going head-to-head with each other. I can tell you this, my opinion, you don't go head-to-head with someone unless you're looking to impose your will on the other event. That could be to put them out of business, to take it over, or to amicably merge after this year. Why else would you do it the same weekend? By the way, I don't have a problem with any of this. As one of my true radio heroes, Jim Rome says, I'm not siding with Smoke Slam. I'm not siding with Memphis and May. I am and I always will side with team content. That drives the show. That's who I want to win. Team content all day long. Put me on team content. And then let's let everything else fall where it may. It'll all come out in the wash, gang. That's what I tell everybody. 
So we'll continue to keep you updated. We're going to give this rib cook-off association thing another shot. Why not? Before we do that, let me ask you this. You tired of settling for mediocre grilling experiences? Of course you are. It's time to step your game up and bring the ultimate flavor and cooker to the backyard barbecues. Pits and Spits Grills offering the highest quality live fire cooking experience you can get in the market today using either wood or charcoal. Their solid fuel grills produce those classic flavors you're looking for when you have the time to fire up the grill and cook for family and friends. With a large adjustable tray, you can raise and lower the fire to control and fine-tune the heat. Their take on the very popular Santa Maria-style grill. You can check them out online, pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. That's pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. And as you're checking out with that new charcoal grill that you just put in the cart, let me save you 150 bucks off that thing. Use promo code CHARCOALCENTRAL. All one word, Charcoal Central at checkout. And again, you can save $150 off any charcoal grill that they're selling. Just go to pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. Use promo code Charcoal Central as you're checking out. And remember, it's the double T on the pits and the spits. Pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. We're back to talk the Rib Cook-Off Association right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit cookandpellets.com and check out all the stuff they have for sale. And then when you're ready to buy, head on over to amazon.com or lowes.com or walmart.com. All the same great stuff to pick from and purchase. Great shipping rates as well. Great folks over at cookandpellets.com. A few weeks ago, we made an attempt at doing a segment with the founders of the Rib Cook-Off Association. Technical issues had other plans, so tonight we are going to give it another try and see. We're going to be talking about why it was created, what the events look like for 2024. We are racing back to the hotline and welcoming back first-timers to the show, Dirk Mullins and Jody Harris. All right, guys, so we are back at it. Before we get into Rib Cook-Off Association stuff, let's ask the YouTube poll question of the week to both of you and Dirk, I will start with you. If you were on the fence about Smoke Slam before, you are now 100% down with it after the interview last week, yes or no? Yes, because I'm cooking in it. Oh, all right. Well, even better. <laughs> Jody, you down with it, yes or no? 
Yes. Yes. Right. So I'm down with it. 62%. So we're falling uh, just moments ago. It was 80-20, but it is now 62% saying yes, they are down with it. I don't want to get off track immediately, Dirk, but what pulls you to a smoke slam versus a stalwart competition like a Memphis and May? I just had a friend ask me if I wanted to cook. That's I'm just cooking with somebody else, not my own team. Coming in as a, as a ringer. Yeah. I don't know about I don't think so. No? <laughs> Probably a dishwasher. <laughs> That's all right. That's but, all right. Uh, no, I, uh, I support them both. Uh, we have a lot of friends that cook Memphis and May and have forever. So. Yeah. Here's the Rib Cook-Off Association. By the way, if you want to check it out as we're talking here, ribcookoffassociation.com. Dirk, what's your background in barbecue, even outside of competition? And then how do you get into the competition scene? I've probably been smoking meat for 40 years. Just friend and I started when we were younger working in the oil field, self-taught uh, as far as that part of it. And then then kind of got into doing some catering on the side. And and uh, I've always been competitive, whether it was golf or whatever. So I took it to the cooking world, met Jody before I ever did my first competition. So we've done close to 170 KCBS contests. Uh, we've done C- CBA, IBCA, uh, probably over 100 SCA. We've cooked a lot of contests together. Everyone we've done has been together. So, Jody, what's your background in live fire? Well, um, basically, I started 11 years ago, too. I mean, <laughs> you know, my background is business. And uh, I remember him coming home one day and saying, hey, we're going to go cook this competition. And I was like, what? What are we going to do? But you know what? I, I fell in love with it. Uh, I cook with him on Three Hog Night Smokers. I also have my own team called She Barbecues, uh, where I cook steaks as well. Been doing that for about five years. And I love it. You know, it's a big family out there. And I, I enjoy the competition, but I enjoy the big family, too. So we've seen the introduction to single meat category through Kansas City Barbecue Society. That does seem to have gained some popularity now, you know, whether that should be counting as a, an increase in competitions is hotly up for debate, depending on who you're asking. But nevertheless, the one meat seemed to be doing pretty well. At what stage, Dirk, did you think that a rib cook-off association is a a good idea to you and then when do you decide to let the rubber meet the rope i came up with this idea about a year ago and don't even ask me why i just thought there was a place for it i thought it'd be fun i think i told you the story we were in a motel room hotel room going to kansas city to do an sca contest and i just looked at jody and i said let's do it she wrote up a little deal put it on facebook and i basically had to turn my phone off that night it was just, it went crazy. Hmm. It was, it was wilder than I thought. And it's been like that ever since. Jody, so, when he pitches the idea to you, do you think it's a little bit crazy wow. or are you jumping in with both feet? You know what? I'm, I'm jumping in with both feet because one of the things that I've seen um, cooking KCBS, sorry, our little three pound Gorky's letting the neighbor know that they know she's home. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, You know, one of the things that I've seen cooking competitively is a lot of people can't afford to cook. 
you know, KCBS and all these other great organizations, they can't cook the three meats or the four meats. So when he came up with the one meat idea, I said, I'm all for it. One, mm. For one reason, it's going to be affordable. For two, it's going to be affordable for the promoters to promote this. So, you know, he came up with the idea, gave me enough nuggets where I wrote a business plan, mm. had it out in a day. We made some posts and and it's been like lightning. I mean, Greg, we have almost 780 members in less than probably four to five weeks. Give us a look at what a rib cook-off association contest or event is going to look like from the minute I show up at the event till when I'm leaving. Well, we're not, we're not going to have any meat inspection. That's up to the promoter. So basically, when you get on site, you can start, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, you have the choice, the promoter has a choice of spare ribs or baby backs or pick one or the other. We've had some interest in beef ribs too, but uh, that, that's, you know, a little expensive side there. But if a person has a sponsor, great for that. But you bring your own ribs, uh, show up, do whatever you want to with them. Promoter is going to set the window, normally a five-hour window, roughly. You know, that's give or take. That's kind of on them. And uh, you'll cook your ribs, turn them in. They'll be judged. No criteria. The judges will pick the meat up and, and eat it. Uh, there, There's no stay on the bone, fall off the bone. It's If it's a good rib, they'll score it a good rib. And if it's not, they won't score it a good rib. Uh, it's we, we try to keep it as simple as possible. So judges off the street. So, can I ask about no meat inspection? Uh, a why no meat inspection? I saw Jody doing a little cheer, getting away from that. I, I don't know why that why that is good or bad or otherwise because I'm just ignorant to that. And then a quick follow up to that would be: Could you run into some inconsistency then where in Stillwater, Oklahoma, there's a promoter that requires uh, meat inspection at his event, but if you go to Chandler, Oklahoma, the promoter does not require meat inspection over there. First off, I'll address the meat inspection. Meat inspection and barbecue is a joke because you you can have your stuff in one ice chest and that show them another. So it's you know, and if you've been in the barbecue world as long as we have, you know there's no advantage to doing anything to your meat before you get there other than trimming, and you are allowed to do that. But there, there's really no advantage to doing that. It'd actually work against you. But uh, if a promoter wants to do it, that's fine. There's probably some that will. And it's not like it takes five minutes for them to come around and do it. So it's, it's not an issue for us. I just don't want to require it. Okay. So that, so. I think we'll have a very small uh, percentage of people, <clears throat> of promoters that actually want to do a meat inspection. Um, but again, we're leaving a lot of that up to the promoter. Uh, from a judging standpoint, you said it's going to be people off the street. They're going to pick up a rib, taste the rib, score the rib. Are there is there any scoring criteria? Of, what is it just like pick it up and one, it's trash, and ten, it's the best, and there's no half points or quarter points or anything like that? Yes, yes. So, and I want to also add on a couple of things that Dirk left out was we do have a cooks meeting. That's typically about nine o'clock. We do have a judges meeting. And in that judges meeting, 
we're telling them that they're not judging to any type of criterion, that they're going to be able to pick up the rib and they're going to be able to bite it. From that, they're going to judge on appearance of the rib once they bring it out of the box. The second thing they're going to judge on is the taste. How does it taste? How does it taste to you, not to the group of judges at the table? How does it taste to you? That's going to be weighted from uh, up to 9.5. The appearance is only going to go to a 9. The taste is going to go to a 9.5. And then the tenderness is going to go to a 9.5. We're being serious here. We're really being serious, lest you think otherwise. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we are. And it's going to go up to a 9.8. So once you weight that out over five judges... Uh, You're going to get a score. And our first contest, um, I think it was nine points. Nine points from the 35th team to first. Yeah. Mm. So it's really close. Three points from the uh, 10th to first. So very consistent. It came out real good. So we're pleased. What can be the biggest pitfalls as you get going here from a scoring standpoint or operational standpoint, anything like that? Or is it going to be pretty easy? Hopefully, it's going to be pretty easy because that's how we designed it. I mean, of course, you're going to have some ties in scoring. Those will be broke, you know, computer coin flip or however we do it. We also, uh, you know, there's a championship at the end of the year, too, that we can talk about in a little bit. But so far, I mean, the the first one in Conway, Arkansas, really went off without a hitch, to be honest with you. We were we were pleasantly surprised, and it rained all day, too. So, it it, it really – it went good. The judging went good. The-, the feedback, Greg, was amazing. They really liked the the laid back atmosphere. They liked the 30 minute window to turn in the ribs. Um, so if anything, I don't see pitfalls. I see opportunities for us to simplify some things, but not really pitfalls. How many racks of ribs are people allowed to bring or is there no lemon you can cook 50 racks and turn in however many required bones yeah. for judges or whatever right yep whatever you want to do and you supply so, turn in boxes or is it paper yeah. plates or what yeah turn in boxes garnish turn in bo- uh no garnish all right no garnish that's something <laughs> else jody likes yeah <laughs> i think nobody's gonna miss the garnish but yeah no garnish what are we looking at entry fee wise we're trying to keep them between 100 and 125. We really don't want them to go over that. Uh, we have some suggested prize money on our website that's not set in stone. Uh, but if they'll keep the entry fees around that, we have already found from some of our wed one contest, try to go a little bit higher and got some bad feedback on it. They changed it and gained some more teams that day. So, What am I looking at from a walk away if I win it? If I give you 100, 125 bucks, what could I walk away with? Conway was $1,000 for first. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, went 500, 400, 300, six through tenth. So. Basically got their money back, 100. Hmm. So uh, it was good. And then, Greg, the champion is invited to cook at our national championship here in Oklahoma on New Year's Day. And then another thing that we're doing, everyone who entered that contest and cooked, their name's going to go on a chip. For each contest, we're going to put everybody's name in a bag. 
Um, once it gets about October, we're going to draw out a certain percentage based on how many cooks we've had. Uh, contests, not cooks, how many contests we've had. And then those individuals will be invited to the uh, championship as, as well. A little bit of a jack draw for the rib cook office those years. Sort of, yeah. And every winner, I don't know if Jody said it, but every winner gets an auto in. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it could even be the top 10 in points by the time we get there. So it's, well. How many events are we looking to get under the belt here in 2024? Man, I hope we got a bunch. Right now we have, what, five or six scheduled? Mm-hmm. Uh, still coming in. Uh Getting still getting great feedback every day, sending out promoter packets. I think I think promoters, some of the promoters are just like cooks. They don't they're not gonna schedule their stuff. If they're doing it in August, they're not gonna call us now and get it on the calendar. We hope they do because I'd like to I'd like to get the ones that are on the calendar. I'll we'll definitely make sure and not have a comp anywhere close to them on the same date. So they won't they won't hurt each other. So but uh and Greg, I think if we have, you know, I, I've set some goals and I think if we have between 30 to 40 cooks for 2024, it's been a successful year. I think we're going to exceed that, but that's kind of the goal I've set. What would you like to see in 24 months? Are we looking at like 300 events over the course of a year or not that many? More than that? I don't know. That, that, that'd be awesome. If we did, it'd be a workhorse, but it'd be awesome. But uh, we've had a lot of people call and want to rep, be reps. And uh, a lot of sponsors, a, a lot, lot of, of people yeah. who want to be sponsors of the organization. You know, I think in any business that you look at, you're going to take a three times. If you hit two, you're doing well for the next year. But if you hit three times, then you know that you've got something there. So I think whatever we do this year, if we can do three times next year, Mm. it'll be a success. And and again, like I tell everybody, have fun. You know, a hundred bucks, you and your buddy, if you want, you can bring out a drum and cook some ribs win some money, have an opportunity to come cook at the championship. You're definitely going to have a good time. One of the most successful parts of SCA a handful of years ago was anything went, any cooker. And I saw it back, you know, back in 2018 when I was down in Fort Worth for an MBBQA event. They had the, the two-time state cook-off thing there. And it was crazy because you saw expensive cookers, you saw a bunch of Weber kettles and everything in between. And people were just cooking steak the best way they knew how and turning it in. Mm-hmm. And, but very rapidly it became, you have to do this in order to be in contention to win an SEA event. It's got to look like this. All of a sudden steak didn't look like steak. It looked like a hockey puck. You had to have the sear marks on judges said they would score down. If there weren't uh, sear marks on the steak, it was, very rapidly squeezed into a box. How do you stay away from that? I think having non-certified judges takes care of a lot of that. Uh, just like KCBS, and I'm not knocking any judges because I'm a certified judge too, but I, I feel like a lot of times they judge to the criteria instead of instead of just eating that and saying, man, that was a good rib or that was a good bite of brisket. It's, it's like, well, that wouldn't really bite through or yeah. the chicken wouldn't bite through or – or, uh, and then talking about 
you know, back to the fire source, we also can, you can cook on any fire source. It doesn't matter what you can cook on anything you want. And Greg, I think it's very important when we're in there with those judges, we tell them you're not judging based on any criteria. It's what you think. You know, you can talk amongst yourself after you finish judging, but it's what you think is what you're going to write down on the paper. Mm. You know, did you like the taste? Did you like the tenderness? Um, Did you like the appearance? It's pretty simple. So I think as long as we continue to stress that and not give any guidelines, because the first I received an email right after the first contest in Conway, and they said, what information did you give to the judges? And I told them. I said, we told them not to judge to any criteria. We told them to look at these three items. That's exactly what we told them. So I think that that's bringing back where people aren't saying, okay, you know, I've, my brisket has to look a certain way. My steak has to look a certain way. You have to cook it to this certain way. No, go out and cook some ribs. And I hope somebody does it on cinder blocks, which is great. <laughs> I want to see that at a contest. When's the next one? one the next one is uh, the 12th. Uh, the, fif- the 15th in Ardmore. It's a Friday night comp because they have an outlaw barbecue contest that Saturday. And then the weekend of the SA Worlds. Well, that's the same weekend. And then we have one in Taylor, Texas, the 23rd of March. And then April 6th, Dollar Branch, Mississippi would be the next one. And Perry, Oklahoma, April 27th. And then uh, 525, May 25th is Jones, Oklahoma. Hmm. So, all right. So, uh, a healthy run coming up here. We're looking forward to tracking the progress here and wish you guys nothing but success. Ribcookoffassociation.com is the website. And we're talking with the founders, Dirk Mullins and Jody Harris. Guys, appreciate the time here this evening. And we wish you good luck and we'll track your progress. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thank we you. appreciate it. You got it. Bye. Appreciate you. Dirk and Jody right there. So if you are fans of cooking ribs and ribs only and you're bigger fans of spending $100 or $125 in an entry fee, which is crazy, that's outside of the ribs. That's your entry fee. But on the cheap, you're in sub 200 bucks before travel and if you're local that's not even that much so like they're talking about you can see where this could quickly gain a lot of steam a lot of momentum really become popular and you know as I mentioned the SEA was super popular for many years not saying that it's not as popular but it certainly has become to a point where you have to cook the steak a certain way to give your shot the best chance at winning. I think they released a one meat or things separate than steak, a ribs, a taco, something like that, just to branch out a little bit more a couple weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double check on that. Hey, West Wright is ready to go. Before we get to him, we'll talk about Primo Grills, what do we love about ceramic cookers in general. When it's cold out, they can be fuel efficient. When it's warm out, they can be fuel efficient. It doesn't matter. Once those ceramics heat up, you can cook for hours and hours and hours in the summer, days on end, because those ceramics heat up and they become very fuel efficient. 
But what's missing in the everyday lineup of the round ceramic cooker, the ability to do true two-zone cooking? Two-zone cooking is very important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire is not very realistic in a round ceramic cooker because it is round. And a Primo grill and the game-changing oval design, the shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well, plus all the accessories, rotisserie accessory, pizza accessory. They got rotisserie baskets, plenty of stuff to satisfy your accessory itch. Only sold through dealers, so go to primogrill.com. That's primogrill.com. Find the dealer near you, visit them. Touch and feel and fall in love with the oval that best fits your needs, and then take it home. Away you go. Primogrill.com, longtime sponsor of this show, and certainly appreciate Nick Bauer and the gang over there. They were at HPBA last week as well. We'll talk to Steve Ray about some Primo stuff. Maybe he made it over the Empire Comfort booth. All right, we're back with Wes Wright. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Renfe. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, we thank Jody and Dirk from RipCookoffAssociation.com for joining us last segment. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard 2 Pro. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. Don't forget about the new Beacon and the Spark as well. Fireboard.com, the website. Call with questions, 816-945-2232. My next guest tonight is the creator of cookoutnews.com. Third Tuesday of the month, regular guest, Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame nominee, Wes Wright. All right, Wes, we have a new YouTube poll question of the week, and I'm asking everybody this and everybody on YouTube. If you were on the fence about Smoke Slam, you are now 100% down after the interview with Melzy Wilson last week, yes or no? Uh, I, I still like the brand of the other one. I'm going to go no. no. Right. <laughs> So we talked quite a bit about Weber last month, but what I didn't learn until a week or so later, maybe it was the following week after we did our normal hit with Christy Vanover of Girls Can Grill, Weber wasn't actually exhibiting at CES like some other companies were. They had a display at a hotel next to CES, but wasn't officially a part of it. Punk move? Or genius move. I, I think it's a punk move, but I, I respect the con. You know, <laughs> I think that's. I think it's kind of hilarious. But and to the way they did it, because I, I heard that uh, the, the interview you did with Christy and uh, the you know like they had a whole bunch of tech journalists there, and no no one said anything because right. that's where I got my information. I wasn't invited to the event, so that's where I got my information. They all claimed it was at CES, so yeah. I think it's. 
I, you know, I don't know if that's something that happens often with those events, but I, you know, it's kind of funny. So I think as you look through the totality of trade show events, this happens all the time across the industry. You have punks that don't want to pay the money to fully display, no matter how big or small that square is going to be that they're going to occupy. They don't want to put in the money, but they have shit to sell or hawk or pimp or hype or whatever. I thought it was over the top that Weber did this. And as you said, none of the reporters, and I mean, these aren't like, you know, Wes and Greg's doucheelectronic.com blog. This is Engadget and CNET, like big name tech outlets that are showing up and none of them are going, and just across the parking lot from CES, there's the Weber display. I mean, they're just, as you said, passing it off like this is just part and parcel of CES. So I think I'm like you. Earlier in the week, I was like 50% of me loves this whole thing. 50% of me hates this whole thing because everybody else that spent money to support CES has been going, this is bullshit. They're getting traction. They're taking away potentially our limelight and they're not even a part of this. So do you think they'll, they'll feel repercussion at all, or they're just happy with people respecting the con as it were? Yeah. I mean, I, it would take a hotel to stand up and say, you know, we're not going to do that for you, but I don't think that'll happen. But like you said, it, it's, they're all tech reporters that reported it. Like if I went there I've never been to CES, so you know you could convince me you're part of CES. I wouldn't know any better, but they know mm. they know it's not CES. So for the fact that none of them said anything is crazy. But yeah, I, I mean, what's is there an incentive not to do that? You know, I don't see one. Uh, Weber's been at a, a couple of weird places too. They like they're not at traditional like um, you know they weren't like at HPBA when I looked at the attendee list at least right. uh, or the exhibitor list, but they're at like the Chicago auto show and they're at a couple other shows that were like not had nothing to do with outdoor cooking at all. They were just like general market shows. Hmm. So, you know, they're doing something else, I guess with their, their advertising money. A year ago I was introduced because I was at HPB expo in Louisville to halo thought they had a really cool burner design for their griddle cooker. They had the battery operated pellet cooker that was a travel cooker. And they've recently been acquired by a company called Worthington. Who's Worthington? Yeah, Worthington owns a bunch of outdoor brands. Um, I, I had never heard of them, so I had to look into them. But they own like Coleman's, you know, those single-use propane tanks. They own that business, which I didn't realize wasn't part of Coleman, you know. Yeah. Um, and they own like, I forget, like the Dirt Devil or whatever that, or maybe it's a weed eater or whatever, that thing that you use to pull weeds in the backyard. Just they have like a collection of 20 so or more of those brands. Um, yeah, and they just added Halo. Any idea what kind of money exchanges hands for this? You know, I was surprised because they, they said a revenue number. I can't remember what it was, but it was sub $10 million. I put it in my article. Um, so it couldn't have cost a lot of money to buy them. I mean, a multiple for a company, you know, I don't know, I'll throw it out seven to 10 or something like that times your earnings. So if you're making under 10 million in revenue, your bottom line is even less. So they, they couldn't have made too much. This will help Halo in the long run, do you think, or does it have the potential being lost in a portfolio of many other products? 
I'm hoping it helps them. I mean, the you know, it's a publicly traded company. They've got money, so hopefully they can put it behind R and D. Um, I had been following Halo because I really liked what they were doing. They they were doing different stuff with with all their girls that came out. All had you know really innovative features that everyone else wasn't doing. Um, they were founded though by a ex VP of Blackstone, um, and he was in like product design. Um, and he, from what I could read. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, kind of unexpectedly, or, you know, that's the way I interpreted it. So I didn't know if that was going to hurt their growth trajectory, you know, cause that's kind of a key thing and a key part of it. So, uh, seeing this, you know, hopefully that, that helps them if they were still feeling from that, you know, and it, it helps them put money into R and D and just keep doing what they're doing on a larger scale. It looked like only one of the top executives remained in the transition and he's going to be product development officer. Were you surprised Nobody else made the switch back over. They there may be other people. That was the only one that they may have only announced him because he was a co-founder. But they may have kept the other executives too. I don't know. They didn't really say exclusively. Um, it was a again though. I think that you know. I want to say it was like twenty to thirty people. I, I forget my number from the article, but it, it's a pretty small company. Um, usually, in that you would because they don't. Worthington didn't look like they sold any grills, so they'll need most of those people, with the exception of maybe a back office person or two. I would, you know, from my experience, M and A. We have two items here on Traeger that we're going to be talking about. The first one happened in between our last conversation, which was the launch of the Traeger Sear Grate. Now, through the various weeks, I've been able to confirm that not only was this built by the company Grow Greats, but it was actually a partnership uh, to some degree through Grow Greats. So they are the manufacturer. Why do you think Traeger doesn't announce that publicly? Yeah, they they apparently just wanted it white labeled. They didn't want to put their brand on it. Um, you know, so maybe so it could seem like they're the ones innovating. That's that's the only thing I could think of from like a marketing perspective. Like, you know, Traeger came up with this good idea, which if you look at their Instagram, a lot of Traeger fans interpreted it that way. Like, mm-hmm. this is amazing that Traeger came up with this idea. Um, so, you know, that that's the only thing I can think of is that they want to be, you know, act like they're responsible for a product that's already been out there. It's funny because I did ask a few folks that are related to Traeger in some way. And when they questioned me about it or said, why did you make that post? It was, you were just trying to, you know, create an echo chamber for haters and this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, well, I mean, it just looked so much like a grill grade. I just wanted to point out the obvious. And all of them were like, hey, you know, of course it is, you know, grill grade. Now it was, we're not trying to pass anything off, but at the same time, they weren't going out of their way to say that we've partnered with this great company, Grill Greats, in order to help put sear marks on your pellet grills. In the end, good idea or bad idea for a sear grate, or is this just another way to generate some accessory revenue? I think a sear, sear grates, they work really well on pellet grills, you know, just like cast iron works well, really well on pellet grills. Um, so I, I think it... It helps them and it helps with a common complaint with their product. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm sure they have the reasons why they didn't release that it was grill great. Uh, 
in, in my perspective, it almost gives it more credibility if you just say like, hey, we partnered with Grill Great and we designed one specifically for our grill and you yep. can spin it however you want. Because then you don't have people that are, are like, well, is this Grill Greats? Is this going to, you, you have some con- confused consumers, I think, that are like, is Grill Great still around? You know, like all these questions that you you wouldn't have to deal with like people upset that they think you're stealing a product if by just saying it, and I don't think it removes anything from it. So, you know, they, I'm sure they have their reasons, but in my opinion, I, I kind of would have done it a little different. I'd mentioned at the top of the show last week that the longest running lawsuit in live fire history that between Traeger and Green Mountain Dr- uh, Grill settled uh, amicably for both sides. I didn't really get any other information outside of that. Do you know anything about details? I don't. I don't know any details of it. I'm I'm glad that it's kind of over with because it seemed like it was, you know, definitely with Green Mountain Grills because they're, you know, a smaller company. It was just kind of a waste of time for everybody, you know, for Traeger and Green Mountain Grills. So hopefully that frees up some financial and people resources for both companies and, you know, they can use that that time better than, than going back and forth. You had mentioned in the weekend refuel, which, by the way, if you're not signed up for it, you should go over to cookoutnews.com and sign up for it and read what's happening or what has happened over the last week at cookoutnews.com. You had mentioned that Ripped Grill was going to be ready to ship in 2025. That's that wood chip burning pellet grill, uh, (laughs) wood chip burning grill from Green Mountain Grills. Is that something you have confirmation on? Because I've heard few different times that it's still maybe more of a concept than it is going to be a real thing. Yeah, I saw that on uh on uh Meathead's Instagram for Amazing Ribs. They they had a picture of it from HPBA and it and you know within their caption they said that they told them it was going to ship with in 2025 I want to say. And then um uh I also talked to uh I think he might even be on your show tonight, Steve Ray from yeah. Owls Nest. He was there too, and I I talked to him actually last week, um, and I want to say he kind of confirmed that as well. So you could ask him. I wasn't at HPBA, but I mean they had the grill there. It seems like if it was there and they weren't going to come out with it, I, you know, I don't know why you would do it otherwise. You going to go to the National Hardware Show? Um, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I just don't have the time to go do it this year. Um, I had a great time, and I would love to go. I just, yeah, it's a timing thing. One of the other things you wrote about was the Tiki brand fire pit. Specifically, you mentioned, I'm paraphrasing, that it creates an environment to have the owner make more fires than you might otherwise. How do they do that? Yeah, they have a thing that I really like where they have uh, these little bags of uh, pellets, right? They call it, they say it's a 30 minute fire where it's it, it looks like a paper bag it has some sort of like lighter fluid or something on it but you just throw it on top of the fire and there's a, a metal cone that it sits on light the four corners boom you got a fire in just a few minutes and it'll be out in 30. so for me it's like a fire you can plan on as opposed to you know you mess around get it lit You're like i don't know how long it's gonna take i gotta go in i gotta get to bed things like that it just the fact that it's so easy and predictable for me you know i found myself beyond just reviewing it, just, you know, I'm outside doing something, let's just throw a bag on it and get going. And then I'm done. It's, it's over and you can go inside. So for me, it made me use it a lot more just because I, I had that set time frame in my head of 30 minutes and this is done, you know? Can you add wood splits on top of it or is it just the pellet fired? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it gets, you know, just a good fire going and you can add more pellets or wood splits, whatever you want. If you get to the end of the time and you're like, you know, I'm not ready to go in, but you know, you know, you have that option though. Is it a good heat output? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like any of the fire pits where a lot of the heat goes up, but you do get some radiant heat and they have their own heat deflector, which um, works decently well too. It's uh, it's a cool design though. It rather than like a pan sitting on top like solo stove, it it's like an angled donut inside, and it pushes the heat outward so you can still like it doesn't obstruct your fire and and you know it looks a lot better. Their their accessories in general for that were just everything was designed really well. You know you would just see little features that you're like okay someone actually designed this, tried it out, you know refined the concept. And I I. It was, you know, it's probably one of my favorite fire pits I've tested just because of that. Every, you know, I was an uh, automotive engineer a long time ago. And so I like when things just work the way you want rather than you're sitting there like, man, I wish they would have done this. Or like even the griddle that it comes with, you can, it sits right on the fire pit and also the bottom of it's grooved. So it kind of locks in place and there's a, a grill in the center. You can add more wood if you want. It's easy. I just, you know, I really had a good time with it. Let's end with Napoleon because we rarely talk about Napoleon. I think the last time we talked about them, they were supposed to be releasing a full-size electric grill to market, which I think is still waiting to be released into market. They're changing their sales tactics a bit and going to an omni-channel approach. And this is something I actually might be down with. So tell us what an omni-channel approach actually is. Yeah, omni-channel is just a, a fancy word if you ever see me write it, that they use in the industry, all it means is you can buy it online. You don't have to just buy it in the store. You can buy it in multiple ways. So um, yeah, Napoleon, they announced uh, you can go online, order. It didn't look like all of them, but order a grill. um, And then they work with your local dealer to ship it to your house, as opposed to the old model where you had to go in person and, Hmm. you know, and order it and get it that way. So in the past, we've talked about companies that are looking to both, build a robust dealer network for you to go into a store and touch and feel their stuff in person, maybe buy it, but also build a robust direct-to-consumer online. And there wasn't this ability to, to connect those two. This almost seems like this would be the most ideal situation for any company that's looking to do those. Here you can build a robust personal relationship with dealer networks and grow that end of it. And then if somebody wants to buy it online, you're still pushing through the dealer to help them move pieces off the floor. Otherwise it seems like this is what everybody should be shooting for. Yeah. If you built a dealer network and they're helping you sell, you know, it's, it's a way that you can reward them as opposed to just selling direct to consumer, you know, and, and going around, around that. So you know, it's a good, good approach for a company like Napoleon, you know, who that that's their foundation is selling through dealers. Did you see the new Royal King IQ? I did. It, it has a ton of knobs on it. <laughs> that's what they what, don't like, but yeah, I did. I did what do you, it. what do you think about it? Uh, I think it's fine. Um, it seemed a tad pricey. Uh, you know, I want to see what is it, like 2,800 bucks or something like that. It, I don't know it. I, I think I would probably like if I'm if I'm using a gas grill. Usually, I, I'm not so worried about keeping 
you know, the temp and dialing it in. If I did, I would just get like a Charbroil cruise for like 450 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I get what they're doing and it's, you know, it's neat. It's just, I don't know. I don't spend that much money on gas grills, I guess. <laughs> I, so I've continued to want to love Royal King. I think this is the brand that everybody should be aware of. I think hardly anybody's actually aware of it. I think they build really great products. They probably overbuild a lot of their products, but in a good way, they have a lot of North American manufacturing. They try and reduce the Chinese componentry as much as possible. It's not 100% eliminated, but they try and eliminate where they can and make it either U.S. or North American-based stuff. So there's a lot of things about Broil King even a year ago that I found out that I really liked. But to me, it's the brand that continues to be the brand that nobody knows about. And if something was done right, I think they would be more popular than Weber. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, and to your point, I, I don't think they know how to market at all. Um, you know, here's a fun activity for your listeners. If you go, go check out the new IQs, right? And you have the pictures of the grill, which aren't any lifestyle pictures. Then you go down and they have little pictures of the features for, that are supposed to be like for that grill. But they're not from that grill. The controllers off a pellet grill in the picture. The side, their infrared burners off a different grill. All the pictures below aren't from the actual grill. And it's like, to me, like it's such a stupid thing. And maybe it's nitpicky, but it like cheapens your brand that you didn't build the thing. Go out and take some pictures of it, and like I can see what's actually on it, you know. But so I, you know, and I, I think that's just kind of indicative of the bigger problem that they don't, you know, just invest in their marketing and get mm-hmm. that out there. Even, you know, their website to me looks kind of old fashioned and, you know, it doesn't scream like this is a high end brand that, you know, you should be buying from. So, you know, I think that's where they go wrong. But and I do think they have a lot of upside to your point. I, you know, they could be huge with where they're built. And I, I love that they're they're built, you know, in North America. And but yeah, I, I, like, I don't know. Do they not want to grow? I don't I don't I don't know what their story is. Is there a big story that you're working on that we can get scooped? Um, nothing, nothing too big. There's a, there's a cool grill I, I came across out of Australia. That's a, it's an electric grill that they use two infrared burners in, inside the cook chamber rather than like a Calrod heating element. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to write something about that. It's not tremendously exciting, but it's kind of a cool design. You know, I'm curious if you could, if they, if, you know, that could be developed. We're talking with Wes Wright from cookoutnews.com. As I had mentioned, make sure you go over there and sign up for the weekend refuel and visit the website multiple times each week. Wes, always appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll look for you again in March. Great. Thanks, Greg. You got it. Wes Wright, right there. Bringing it strong as always. Lots of great information. You know, I am personally offended as an American consumer, a North American consumer, that Broil King refuses to be better than they are. And I wanted to help them, and they rebuffed me. I'm not mad about that, but this is a brand that should easily be number one in the minds and hearts of consumers. And they refuse to do it. Bizarre. All right, let's go ahead and wrap the first hour. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content. 
in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, let's try and beat the clock here. We thank Wes Wright from cookoutnews.com. Be sure you go to cookoutnews.com for all the latest and greatest info. We are pointing to the second hour where we will have visits from Steve Ray and Seth Sawyer from Current Backyard. So stick around. We'll be right back. 